Genesis chapter 3 is where you can turn. Uh, Genesis 3. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 19, some. But uh, we're in a series looking at God's generosity. And we've had two weeks in it so far together. We saw God's generosity in creation, how that is one of the purposes of creation, is to point us to God, to see how generous he has been to us, to enjoy his creation. Uh, But then last week, we looked at man's response to God's generosity, and it wasn't the best response, as we saw here in Genesis chapter 3. And so I do want to uh, continue with that train of train of thought. Now we didn't leave last week just looking at that. We we kind of saw where we were going because uh, today the whole goal is to see God's generosity to us in in Christ, and that's really what I I hope that we see uh, today. Uh, but we're going to start as I said in Genesis chapter three, looking at verses eight through nineteen, because after man's response to God's generosity, God then responds to man. And so I want us to see that. So follow along with me. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. So we see that God has curses accompanying sin. And as a result of sin, as a result of Adam and Eve deciding to not look at God as a generous God, but instead, as we saw last week, to look at God as a God who is keeping something from them, and they decided to eat of the fruit, what happens now is all of creation, every corner of it, becomes corrupted. Sin has corrupted it. Notice the the different curses that we have here. I mean, Adam is told the ground is going to be cursed because of this. All of it. You're going to struggle the rest of your life. And all of mankind is going to struggle the rest of their life just to be able to eat. And one day they will return back to the earth. He says, from dust you came, from dust you will return. To Eve, he says, Eve, your life now will be much more difficult. In childbirth alone, there's going to be a lot of pain. 
excruciating pain is what's going to happen and take place. And we also see that there will be trouble between her and her husband. Even the serpent, the serpent itself is, is told that because of this, you're going to be cursed. You're going to be on your belly in need of the dust. And so everything in this story here, we see corruption because of sin. Now, even in what's happening here, I want us to see how God is generous because God's response to this rebellion simply could have been destruction. That's what could have happened. That's what could have taken place. As soon as Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, what could have happened was over, just everything gone. God wipe it all out, done. Sin has happened and this is what's gonna take place. But no, in, instead, what we see is they they eat of this, and all of a sudden, God starts calling out to them in the garden. He, he comes again to walk with them in the evening, and God calls out to them, and he's, he's being very kind to them by saying, where are you? Because what is he doing? God is giving them an opportunity here to come forward. God's giving them an opportunity to admit what had happened and what had taken place. We see God's generosity even in that. But Adam and Eve don't take God's generosity uh, very well, do they? Because they, they don't come clean. And instead, and we don't have time to go through all of it this morning, but the blame game happens. Adam, what happened? <laughs> Eve happened. It's her fault. Eve, what happened? The serpent happened. It's its fault. Right? Just passing blame. Not, not being honest about their sin, not how they... Uh, disobeyed God and the law that he had given them. No, and instead, they, they don't come forward. Yet, we see, and we didn't read this, but if you continue to read there, verses 20 and, and 21, God shows his generosity to Adam and Eve again. They had sown fig leaves together and tried to cover themselves. See, they had tried to deal with their sin on their own, and God in his loving kindness here says, that's not good enough, and he covers them. And sadly, they have to watch death happen for the first time as an animal has to be slaughtered and the skin of the animal is what covers them, which is a, actually a picture of how we are justified as well. Verse 15, though, is where I want to focus most of our uh, attention here in Genesis chapter 3 because it's a very important verse uh, because all of this is pointing again to God's generosity. And it might not have felt like that to Adam and Eve, but verse 15 really, really shows it. Again, he says, therefore, ever there's going to be a problem between the serpent and Eve and their offspring. And it's kind of interesting because when you read the commentaries, again, people take that and there are pages given to something that I don't think is too important, but they just say how people don't like snakes. And that's what's being talked about here. Some people like snakes. I think they're crazy people, but they like them, some of them. And it is true. There, I guess, is some sort of battle happening there and taking place there. But again, I don't think that's the point of the curse and the passage that we have before us. Notice God's kindness to Eve's offspring. Because it says in this curse, it says, serpent is going to bruise the heel of offspring. But the offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent. So we already see here a promise that the enemy will be destroyed. The enemy is going to be Crush. This is God's generosity coming out. Again, this didn't have to happen. God could have just destroyed everything and said, hey, I told you if this happened, this is what was going to take place, and bam, it's, this is it. 
But no, God's generosity is coming out and pointing to a, a future hope that in the end, the enemy is going to be annihilated and, and taken care of. Again, with all that was happening and going on, I don't know if Adam and Eve recognized this as being very generous, but they had to have heard it. And they had to have wondered when this would happen and when this would take place. What was happening to Adam and Eve which was much better than what they deserved. Right? Again, they deserved to die. And eventually they would. And God said that. You're going to return back to the dust. That's going to happen now. It wasn't going to happen, but now it is because of sin. But what God was giving them is a lot better than what should have happened. And so what we see in these curses and what we see here in Genesis chapter 3 is what I'm labeling as mankind's problem. See, mankind has, has a problem, and it's a problem that all of us have. We see it in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We read some of this even last week. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is our problem. The same problem that Adam and Eve faced that we just read about is the exact same problem all mankind faces today. Now, if you were to ask a hundred different people what is wrong with the world today, you're probably going to get a lot of different responses. You might not get a hundred different responses, but you're going to get quite a bit of different responses. People have their theories and their thoughts about what the problem is with the world. I would guess even in your life currently, whatever you're facing right now in your life, I bet you're going through problems. In some, in some way, shape, or form, we, we all face different problems and different uh, difficulties. But the truth is that we see in Scripture, and this isn't just some Sunday school answer, it's, it's the truth of it, all of these problems can be traced back to what has been damning us our whole existence, and that is sin. Sin is the cause of all of our problems, of all of our suffering, and it's it's just not something we can avoid. We just simply can't get away from it. No matter how hard we try, there it is. So when we look at the curses laid upon Adam, Eve, and the serpent, I think all of us would understand that it's still very active today. These, these curses are still very alive and well today because we all suffer through it. Sin has just caused this great disruption and pain that has spread all over the world. In fact, I would, I would argue, I, I would argue this, I, I think it's true, that as people struggle uh, with the issue of pain and suffering, we as Christians are the only ones that have a valid response to why there's pain and suffering in this world. We know the reason for it. We have the answer for that for people. When they ask, why is there things like cancer? And why is there murder and adultery and theft? Why is, all, why is there all this struggle in the world? And people try to answer that through, well, people just need to be nicer. And we just need to get along. And they, they have all these different reasons. We actually have the real answer. It's like being nicer is fine, but you're not dealing with the problem. The problem and the reason for all of it is sin. It's sin. And until sin is dealt with, it's always going to be the problem. It's always going to be there. And so we have this answer as Christians that other people don't have. We, we know exactly why all of this is taking place. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us. The Bible tells us that creation yearns to be set free from sin. 
It yearns and groans, it says in Romans, to be set free from the problems that sin has caused. But the problem that you and I face, when we're talking about mankind's problem, knowing that it's sin, the problem that we still face is we can't seem to stop it. Right? We, we, I can't seem to be able to stop the hurt in people's lives. You know, Pastor Spencer asked us to pray for a couple of our members, and I'm sure if we had time to go all in the room, you guys all have things to be praying for that you're struggling with. But you tell me that any one of us wouldn't love to go to Linda and Casey Jones's house and just rid them of the pain that they're going through right now? We would love to do that. You know, we would, we would love to be able to go into funeral homes that we all have to go to and take that family and say, your problems are no more. But you would never have the courage to do that, would you, Why? Because you know you can't. You can't do that. And so we have to look into the faces of people that we love who are going through hard times and say things like this, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. That's what we got. I'm not saying it's minimal, but that's what we have. We can't say no more, it's gone. We just can't do that. And then when we look at the base of all of this, because you could look at them and say, you know what the problem is? Sin. Well, that's not a, that's not a good thing, is it, all the time? They don't take that too well. But we know that's the answer. And so if the problem is sin, then why don't, why don't all of us in here, you and I, let's try this this week. Let's not sin and see if things get better. Let's just, let's just do that. Let's just stop sinning. Well, even as I say that, it's laughable, isn't it? We're going to sin. I was probably sinning during that song as the deer, as I told you. It probably was not appropriate. It was there, though. No matter how much we try to avoid sin, I just can't seem to avoid it. And so because of this, mankind's problem <laughs> is one with no hope. I can't do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. So in order for us to solve our problem, we have to look outside of ourselves. Have you ever been in a situation like that before? This is one of the reasons I don't like working on my vehicle, on my car. I know enough at times to make it continue to work. But I've also been caught in many of times when I have something disassembled and I think, oh boy, I'm in trouble. I can't do this anymore. I don't even know what this and this was. I took that off hours ago. I have no idea where it goes. I need my car. I need to go pick my kids up from school and I have an hour. What am I going to do? I have to then look outside of myself so you start calling people. Can you help me? Can you help me? Could you maybe pick up my kids? Could you go do this, right? We, we look outside of ourselves. Well, as mankind, as we all look at each other, none of us can do anything about this because we're all sinners. As Romans 5 told us, as we just read, all have sinned. We've all sinned. How are we, how are we gonna stop this? Well, we need help. And thankfully, that's where God's generosity kicks in again, doesn't it? Because God in his great generosity has solved the problem of mankind and he has done it by giving us his son. I want that to sink in. Your rebellion against God is solved by God giving his son in your place. What you deserved. Again, you can look at Adam and Eve. 
They deserved death, but God in his generosity let them keep living. Oh, they got kicked out of Eden. Oh, things got harder. But they still got to be married. They still had to have, got to have children. They still got to live a long life on this earth and enjoy a lot of this creation. God was very generous. God was very kind to them. But what we see in Christ is even greater because God would give us his only son. In Galatians chapter four, verses four through five, Paul would write, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When we really take the word of God for what it says, it's astonishing the act of generosity toward us that God is giving us. We, just like Adam and Eve, what we deserve is punishment. We deserve death. Yet, what God would do is God would allow Jesus, his son, to come to this earth wrapped in flesh <clears throat> for one purpose, to fix our problem. To fix your problem and my problem. And the fact is, most of the earth would just push that aside too. But yet this is exactly what God would do. Why? Because God is generous. You see, as we talked about God's generosity and creation, maybe you sat there and you thought, well, to be honest with you, what this world has given me most of my life isn't anything to be too thankful about, especially over the last couple years. And to that, I think I could argue with you some, but maybe I can't convince you, and that's okay. But what you see here is an act of generosity that you can only call generous. There's no other way to look at it. There's no, there's no way to, to push this aside because nobody does something like this. There's nobody who gives his son for people who hate him, for people who have rebelled against him, for people who are his enemies. We wouldn't even give our children most of the time for people we love greatly. But this is exactly what God has done. You see, from a human standard, we cannot even come close to what God has done for us and his generosity in Jesus. You see, Jesus would come to this earth, as it was said, and Jesus, the Bible tells us, lives the life that we and I can't. We just, as we said, we keep sinning. While on this earth, Jesus lives a perfect life. There's no sin found in him. There's no wrong found in him. He's born under the law, but he fulfills the law perfectly, it tells us in the Gospels. Every, every I is dotted, every T is crossed on the law when it comes to Jesus. There was nothing that he missed out on for even one second. He lives an absolutely perfect life. There's no sin in him whatsoever. And on top of that, he perfectly obeys his Father in all things, in everything, all the way to his death that he knew was coming. Now, if you're a kid in here and you still live under your parents' household and you still are trying to obey them and follow their rules, this should astound you. He perfectly obeys his father all the way. None of us have done that. None of us could do that ever. And so not only does God send his son, not only does his son Jesus live this life that you and I cannot, he stands in our place. He stands in our place also by taking God's wrath for us. You and I deserve the wrath of God. We rebelled, but the Bible tells us that Jesus takes that for us. Romans chapter 3, which if you're in the Sunday school class in Romans, you will get here soon enough. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, there's a ton to unpack in that section. I'd encourage you to join the Sunday school class because I'm sure Pastor Dave will do that when he gets here, gets to that point. But what's being said there is sin had to be dealt with because God is righteous and God is just. And the law said sin equals death. And in order for God to be just and in order to God to be righteous, something had to be done to deal with the law. And so what Romans 3 is telling us here is God sent his son Jesus to deal with the law, to stand in our place. And so that word propitiation is Jesus was the one who took and satisfied God's wrath. It was, it was poured out on him. The wrath that you deserve, the wrath that I deserve, was put on Christ. It was put on Jesus, the one who was perfect, the one who obeyed the Father, the one who matched up to every standard, the one who lived as Adam should have. See, Jesus was the better Adam, which we'll see more in a minute. So Jesus comes to this earth, and we read in Scripture that Jesus' death was planned before the foundation of time. Before Adam and Eve ever ate of that fruit, it was planned that God in his generosity would give you his perfect son. Let me ask you, would you go through with creation if that was the plan? No. No, you wouldn't. Yet God in his generosity us did just that. Jesus comes to this earth with the sole purpose of going to the cross to have the wrath of God poured out on him instead of on you and I. And he did this to satisfy the penalty of sin. And this is why he could satisfy it. Because he was the spotless lamb. He was the perfect man. The perfect sacrifice. So again, I hope you see God's generosity in this. And then on the cross, what we see is it wasn't just being God's wrath poured out. He went through great physical pain, great physical punishment, all the way to the point to where the Bible tells us that Jesus dies. You see, in his death, this satisfies the consequences of sin, doesn't it? Sin equals death. Adam and Eve died because of sin. You and I will die because of sin unless Christ returns during our time. Yet, what Jesus' death does is it gives us the ability to avoid eternal death. We don't have to face eternal death in hell that's what Jesus did here. You see, this is where we can go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and we see the prophecy starting to come true. No doubt at this time, Satan the serpent thinks, <laughs> I took Genesis 3, 15 and I flipped it. 
I crushed him. God said that the offspring would crush me, but I just crushed him. He's dead. It's final. It's over. Game over. But we, we know that that's not true, don't we? Because Jesus still had some work to do. He was dead, yes, but the Bible tells us that Jesus rises again. And in rising again, he, he crushes the head of the serpent. The weapon that Satan had all along, death, is no longer a weapon anymore because Jesus rises again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 through 23, Paul would write, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. In the resurrection, Jesus crushes the serpent. He crushes the grip of sin and death. And because of his resurrection, you and I have a resurrection in Christ. Death no longer owns us. Even as we face the barrel of death, and we fear how we might die. We, we fear what that process might look like. And that is very understandable. What we as Christians do not fear is the actual death. Because the Bible tells us later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? All death has done is given me victory. My perseverance is over. My race is finally over. I can, I can finally rest because now I'm going to be with him in glory forever. Thank you, death, for coming. You have made me victorious in Christ. That's what has happened. That's what has taken place here. And then we see Jesus' work wasn't done, though, just in rising again. It says he was on earth for a while, but as we get to the end of the Gospels, we see what? We see that he ascends, that Jesus ascends. And that's important because he ascends on high. And where does he go? He, he goes to the right hand of the Father, to where he rules and reigns and has all power and authority. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. I'm not going to Read it, you can read it on your own. But he ascends on high, and this is so important. Because we now have him as our mediator who has all power and authority. That's a big deal, right? It's good to know people in high places, is it not? <laughs> and we have Christ. He can get no higher. He loves us and he cares for us. And so we see God's great generosity in Christ offered freely to all people. That's what we see here. I, I have three more points, and they're very basic, and it'll be quick, I, I promise you. We see here Jesus offering God's generosity in him. One of the verses that I'm always drawn to, and I read it quite a bit, so you'll find it familiar, is Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. And here we see Jesus' offer. He says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. But here's the offer. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To be honest, in our world today, I can think of no better offer. 
No matter who I talk to, no matter what kind of church services I listen to, no matter what it is, everybody is seeking rest. That's what they're looking for. Rest from rat race, rest from struggles, uh, rest from depression and anxiety, rest from hurt, rest from the things that we face in this world. People are just looking for some sort of hope, some sort of peace, some sort of rest. And a lot of people find it in a lot of areas, right? They, they seek it in all kinds of things. They, they might seek it in a bottle. They might seek it in a team. They, they might seek it in a job. They, they might seek it in a spouse. They might seek it from their kids. They might even seek it from a, a church. There's all kinds of places to go that seem to offer some sort of happiness, some sort of some sort of rest. But if we're honest with ourselves, as we even try to seek those things, you and I both know, none of those things offer the rest we're looking for. Right? You think, if I could just get married, I, I would be happy and have some rest. Right? It won't be as big of a struggle. In fact, right after this service, I get to do a, a marriage counseling a session for a, a wedding, and they're here, and I, I don't think that's what they're thinking, but I can promise you this, marriage doesn't offer you rest. I mean, I'm not trying to burst the bubble here. It's not going to happen. But then you think, well, if I just have kids, you know, I've always wanted to have kids, and we'll just enjoy that life with kids and get to do their little things, you know, that they like to do, and all this, and I'll just be so uh, complete then, and things will probably start to make more sense. Well, for those of us who are parents know, none of us know what we're doing. I'd say to my wife quite often, "Hun, we just need to survive. That's the goal. I'm serious. I, we laugh. Uh, and in my little Apple calendar, there's all kinds of dots, which means there's something to do. How are we going to do this? We just need to survive. Let's make it back home tonight, and let's get in bed. That's the goal. No rest found in that. You, you've, you've climbed the corporate ladder. Can I ask you, is the next job easier than the last job? I haven't found that to be true yet. My son comes home from one of his first jobs ever. You want to know what he does? He sorts apples, and he comes home and complains. I sorted apples all day today. I'm like, I wish I could sort apples again. I had that same job, and I complained too. I'm like, Jack, I said, you get to go to work and leave work, and who cares what happens to work after? That, that's, that's the enjoyment of entry-level jobs. But you know that as you've worked the corporate ladder, it doesn't become easier. It becomes much more stressful, doesn't it? No rest there. Have you ever seen a number in your bank account when you said, oh, enough? You haven't, have you? I would encourage you to look at Jesus' offer and really think it through. Because Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is where you will find your rest. He didn't say you could go to some other places. He said, this is where you find rest. There's, there's no other place of rest. Jesus is the only one who can give us rest. And what Jesus tells us here is Jesus wants us to be free from the penalty of sin. And what he's saying is, here it is. This is the answer. 
Here it is. It can't be found anywhere else. And now, if that wasn't enough, if that offer wasn't enough, we also see this about God the Father in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And you need to hear this this morning. Timothy, or Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, notice this, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, notice this, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. All people. I think if we're honest with ourselves as Christians, we don't feel this way a lot. But God does. There's a neighbor that I have no doubt you have thought in your head, I can't wait till you get what you deserve. It's coming. You don't witness to that front neighbor. You don't want them to know. I know that's harsh, but you don't want them to know. There's people on the news that you see and you think, go rot. You need to go rot. Did you know that Jesus offers them the same offer he offers you and us? And Paul writes in 1 Timothy, God desires for them to be saved. God desires for them to be saved. I told you I've been using a book uh, by Chad Bird. This is not in that book. This is something else that he, that he wrote that I came across, and I, I want you to hear it. it. It makes me, it reminds me of a passage in Matthew, in Matthew chapter, in chapter 20, uh, where there were labors in a vineyard, and some got hired early in the morning and were promised a denarii, and then some in the middle of the day, and then some in the late afternoon, and then when the when the manager was handing out the money for the day, everybody saw, hey, we're all getting paid the same. And they were like, whoa, I worked way longer than that guy. And the response was, you were happy to take the offer. I offered you a denarian. That's what you worked for. That's what you're getting. Right? There was a lot of frustration in the workplace. Some of you probably know what that is like right now, don't you? Listen to this quote. Uh, I appreciated it. He said, Chad Burr says, on the same day, same hour, Old Mrs. Schmidt and young Mr. Jones died. One at home, one in prison. The elderly woman had raised the family, spent untold hours on her knees in prayer, and was known around her community as the paragon of charity. The young man, convicted on two counts of murder and one of rape, had been incarcerated for a few years before he was killed by another inmate. Just the day before his death, during a conversation with a prison chaplain, Mr. Jones had confessed faith in Jesus. When Mrs. Schmidt and Mr. Jones died, they both appeared before their Lord who smiled at both, embraced them both, and said with equal joy to both, welcome and well done, my good and faithful servants. Chadberg goes on to write, if this is offensive to you, then good. You've begun to understand the gospel. It's not about you. It never has been. The good news of Jesus is equally good to murderers, grandmas, Pimps, nuns, the best and worst of society. The gospel's not about you, but about Jesus. His work, his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, his ongoing life for you. It's good news because it is the declaration that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not counting our trespasses, but counting solely upon the work of Jesus. This is grace. This is grace. This is what I, I strive to get across to us every week. This is what I try to fill my mind with as I read scripture because this grace is what's beautiful. 
And it's for you this morning. Regardless of your past, regardless of your present, it's for you. Jesus offers it to you. God desires it for you. And I have the privilege this morning to encouraging you in this. Just take it. That's it. Take it. You said there's got to be more to it. No. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Take it. That's the offer. The same offer that Jesus gave to those people listening to him is your offer this morning. There's not some special hoop to run through. There's not, there's not something that you need to sign. There's, there's nothing. Jesus says, just take what I did and say it's yours. And it's yours. I can think of no better generous offer. I can think of nothing more generous in all this world than the God who created this world sending his son to pay the price that you deserved and then turning around and saying, just take it. Just take it. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't, you don't have to be a part of all these prayer meetings and yet it's not about all this stuff. Take the free offer of grace that God has provided to you in Christ Jesus and find your rest in it. You say, Pastor Tim, I don't know if this is the best way to encourage people to come to church. I don't, I don't know if this is the best way to encourage people to give offerings and all that kind of stuff. I think if you take it, you'll find that all of a sudden your life will start to change anyways. You'll understand his generosity to you. You'll understand his love to you. And what you'll find in your life is all of a sudden you just want to love him back the best you can. That's... That's the strategy here. And so this morning and all this week, my prayer has been that some of you would take it. That you would take the offer. Now, you have the right to not take it. Don't get me wrong. You have the right to leave here and never think about it again. You have the right to continue to run your race and to try to find peace and hope and other things. And don't get me wrong, you might have some fun times. But I can promise you, peace and hope will never be found in the things of this world. Jesus said, only I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this morning, on October 1st, this preacher is doing his best to offer that to you. Here it is. Take it. Life everlasting. Rest and hope. I hope you will this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to end with a song. We, we end with a song every week and I give you the opportunity to respond to the word of God as you see fit. And I hope for some of you today that that would be by taking that offer. I hope that you'll trust in the Lord, that you'll believe on him, that he died for you. And in doing that, the Bible says you will be saved. So I hope you won't wait. I hope that you won't push it aside. I I hope that you'll accept the free offer of grace God gives you this morning and the generous act that he is giving you right now. Let's bow together, let's pray. God, I thank you for Jesus. 
God, help us to see your generosity. As we've seen, you have proved that you are generous in so many ways, but the climax of that really is Christ. So God, I know there's many of us in here this morning who have took that offer of grace that we have found hope and rest and peace in you, but God, you know that sin still disrupts that at times in our hearts. Forgive us of our sin. But God, I pray that maybe this morning there's just been a, it's been a refreshing message to hear it again. It's been an encouraging message. I pray for those of us who are Christians that maybe it's been a little convicting to be praying for all people, to know that God desires all men to be saved. And God, I pray that that would be our desire too. And that with great fervor, we would share the gospel with people, not knowing who it is who will be saved. But we will treat each person as if they're the next one. And so God, put that passion in our heart. But God, I do pray that you would save people this morning, that they would have their eyes open to your truth and that they would, would trust in you. Sure, all their questions might not be answered, but God, I pray that you would start them on that process today to mold them and make them into the likeness of Jesus, their Savior. God, as we sing this song to you now, I pray that we would worship you through it, that we would honor you with our singing, that we would praise you and glorify you, the generous God who deserves all of us, all of our praise, all of our adoration. God, we're so good at praising, we're so good at adoring. But God, I pray that this morning it would be directed to you. So help us now as we worship you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.